Blue. It's a noun, an adjective, a mood. It's a genre of music, the blues. It's a time of day, blue hour. It's the color of the sky and the perceived color of the ocean, making it the most abundant perceived color on the planet. Artists throughout the whole of time have painted about it, sung about it, um, written about it, and today we're going to discuss just a few of them and how they incorporated blue into their works, some of whom have dedicated large portions of their lives and time to a kind of secular worship of blue. I suppose the intention with these elemental and sensory videos um, is to kind of wet your palate a little bit as creative people and get juices flowing in a certain direction. Maybe there's a way to think about blue or something to discover about blue that only you can discover for the world. So that's the intention. But it also gives an opportunity to see how different artists throughout history have kind of interpreted the same assignment, so to speak. There are many myths and legends and ancient texts and even conspiracy theories um, that involve people with blue skin. For example, in Hinduism, Lord Vishnu famously has blue skin and he's the preserver and protector of the universe. Something I think about a lot is that the color blue is very tied to the energy of the moon, and so is silver, and that's something that I'm personally really interested in. And I, I found that there's something called argyria, um, which is essentially a skin condition that's um, when your skin has an overexposure to the element of silver. You actually turn blue, which um, you know has happened to people, and it's, it's wild. But in mythology, in the same way that gold is tied to the sun, uh, silver is tied to the moon. And so it's this sort of direct connection to the color blue. In ancient times, uh, also Egyptians used blue lotus as a way to enhance their dreams. And the third eye chakra is the blue indigo blue chakra. The throat chakra is the light blue chakra. Um, and it's interesting that there's two blue chakras as well. But yeah, so in that way, like it's it's something direct. It comes from nature. This idea of the energy of the moon or like the energy of the night or uh, con quiet contemplation or melancholy or reflection. Um, all of these things are sort of tied together. Memory, you know, it does come from, from something concrete, like these plants that are blue in nature, enhance dreams. And this element causes your skin to turn blue. So it's not just completely arbitrary, right? We also walk through our days sort of enveloped in blue um, because the sky is blue. And if we live near the ocean or near the coast and you look out like into a horizon line, it's sort of blue meets blue and you feel that sense of expansion. Like you can't really tell where one thing ends and where another begins. So that's going to lead us into our first artist, uh, which is Eve Klein, of course. So in the 1960s, there was an artist called Yves Klein. He was born in Nice, and he was working in Paris. Um, and he became most famous for his monochromatic blue paintings during what he called his L'Epoque Bleue, um, or his blue years. And he was a bit of a madman and a mystic, as they, as they usually are. But the basic kind of raison d'etre behind his work is that he felt he wanted to merge, or that he was merging with what he called the immaterial. He was part of the Nouveau Réalisme uh, movement in France at the time, which was kind of an avant-garde movement. Um, there was a lot of movements like that happening all over the world. Yeah, he wanted to merge with the immaterial, and blue was the route that he took. Someone actually commented 
um, one of his quotes on my Instagram post from yesterday about this episode. So I'll read it here because it actually explains a lot. Um, In 1946, I went to sign my name on the underside of the sky. As I lay on the beach in Nice, I began to hate the birds, which occasionally flew into my pure, unclouded blue sky, because they tried to bore holes in my greatest and most beautiful work. Birds must be eliminated. So that kind of gives you an idea of who he was and how he was thinking about things. Um, In addition to making the monochromatic blue paintings uh, with a very specific hue of blue, which he ended up patenting, um, which you've probably heard of, it's called International Klein Blue. Um, He also used women's bodies as paintbrushes to do a sort of performance uh, painting that was kind of shocking at the time. Um, That was also happening in movements like Gutai in Japan, you know, the action paintings using the body, but because he was using women's bodies, kind of like his own paintbrushes. Um, as you can imagine, that was very controversial, which we'll get to in a moment. In 1958, Klein had another controversial exhibition that was actually very successful called The Exhibition of the Void, um, in which he painted an entire gallery in Paris white and removed all the objects sans a glass cabinet. Um, and basically the idea was that once he had done the blue paintings, there was nothing left to paint. He had begun to merge with the immaterial. From an article, which I'll link on the blog, it says, In the opening night on his 30th birthday, the artist set up a sophisticated entrance ceremony. Blue drapery was hung in the lobby of the building. The gallery's window was painted blue. Two Republican guards surveyed the access, and two further bodyguards were meant to guard the guards. (laughs) Um, A blue drink which was a combination of gin, Cointreau, and methylene blue, was served to the 3,500 3, attendees. Um, that's a lot of people in, a, in anywhere, um, who apparently ended up urinating blue the next day, much to the artist's delight. The exhibition was successful, um, but in his personal life, it was interesting. I watched an interview of his wife, who's still alive today. Uh, her name is, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it probably, but Rotro. Klein Mouquet. She has these crazy, dazzling blue eyes. She was very hypnotizing to listen to. She talked about how, you know, she kind of recognized him as this sort of spiritual person or mystic, and um, that he used to talk about how he was merging with the immaterial and that he knew he wasn't going to live very long. He thought, you know, he was he was going to die soon. Um, and what ended up happening was he had some sort of health issue that caused blood to back up in his body um, to the point where he actually turned blue and it was some sort of cyanosis or something. Um, and he, yeah, he merged with the blue. He turned blue and he, and he died. It's kind of legendary, if you ask me. But not everyone was such a fan of Klein and his work, as you can imagine. Um, and in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, um, when, you know, of course, second wave feminism was happening, Helena Almeida took a series of photographs and painted them with blue in different ways um, as a sort of rebellion against um, the male dominated art scene and, and sort of um, this particular male artist's domination of a color in the bodies of women uh, using their bodies as his sort of tools. And things like that. And it was a kind of blue as an act of rebellion against blue. In 1993, filmmaker Derek Jarman dedicated his last film um, to the color blue in his film titled Blue, which outlined his experience in hospital as he was dying from AIDS. Um, the film is presented as a kind of interior stream of consciousness 
or a journal entry of sorts um, as the world kind of turns around him as he's lying there dying in the hospital bed. And because he was losing his vision uh, from the virus, the, vi- the film was imageless. It was just a blue screen and blew it stayed uh, for an hour and 19 minutes. And while you're watching, you kind of become, yeah, like you kind of start to merge with the screen. And um, it's sort of like that thing where when one sense is down, the other is heightened. The emotion that you can feel through his words because you're, you have nothing to focus on really except for this blue screen, um, which gives you that feeling that blue gives you. And so you're already kind of in a, a state of non-reality and you're listening to him speak and it just becomes that much more powerful. If you haven't seen the film, um, I will link it below. I watched it on Canopy. As usual, it's free with a library card. And yeah, you get the feeling by the end of it that you don't really remember what reality really is anymore. And you're kind of living in an in a in-between state for a while. There is a sense that you get um, when you stare at blue for a long period of time, especially a particular blue, that we are in blue and blue is in us. And I think that's kind of the thing that people get when they stare out into the ocean. Um, but it feels like some kind of secret. And it's like this door into a world that you really only get to enter if you are ripped away in some way, shocking or um, through a dream or something from what we consider everyday mundane reality. In music, particularly in the genre of the blues, um, the color blue has obviously been used a lot as an inspiration. Uh, Leonard Cohen, Billie Holiday, and Joni Mitchell all sang famous songs about the color blue. Of course, Joni Mitchell's song Blue on her Blue album is the most melancholic yearning from the heart on the album. Um, And Leonard Cohen's famous Blue Raincoat, it starts at blue hour at four in the morning, right? And it's written about a quietly devastating love triangle. In an article that I found by Financial Times um, from 2020, which I'll link down below, a writer called Dan Ina writes on Cohen's song. But this is no ordinary torrid love triangle narrative filled with wounded egos, bitterness, blame, and reclamations. Trust Leonard Cohen to come up with something altogether more subtle, spare, and quietly devastating. The letter is in fact curiously fraternal, even conciliatory towards the narrator's rival. The tragedy here was never the infidelity, but the way in which the narrator was resigned to the decay of his marriage. The line is that he's talking about, thanks for the trouble you took from her eyes. I thought it was there for good, so I never tried. Perhaps one of the bluest lines ever written. Billie Holiday also has several songs entitled Blue. Um, Of course, she was a blues singer. Uh, Blue Moon, Lady Sings the Blues, Am I Blue? And um, also Nina Simone, I just learned um, that her first studio, studio album was entitled Little Girl Blue. It's interesting, this whole week, um, since I decided to do this episode on the color blue, and I didn't really decide, I feel like it decided me because I woke up from a dream and it was like, I hadn't seen Derek Jarman's film um, in a long time, but it was like kind of playing in my head in this Eve Klein blue, right as I woke up and I knew blue kind of had me in its in its coils for the week. Um, and ever since I started thinking about the color blue, it started to show up in my experience everywhere, all, all over the place. Um, I found myself kind of sitting in front of a purely blue wall. You know, my friend was that I was meeting there was wearing blue and she was drinking out of a blue cup. Um, you know, just stuff like that all week long, blue nail polish, blue things. And one of the things that happened was I was watching Nina Simone's documentary called What Happened Miss Simone. I think that's what it's called. It's on Netflix. 
Um, but in the first like five minutes, she introduces, you know, the, the song and she says, this is about a little girl named blue. And I was like, wow, like, it's always fun to witness the unfolding of an idea. Maybe you could try it yourself, start thinking about Blue, maybe it'll start happening to you. So in 2009, Maggie Nelson, um, she published this book called Bluettes that's entitled um, after her favorite painting by Joan Mitchell, Les Bluettes or Cornflowers in French. It's an amazing painting actually. In the book, she outlines 240 paragraphs that are centered around the subject of her own L'Epoque Bleu from 2003 to 2006, relating it to a particular love affair or two in her uh, life at the time. It is an intellectualization of a quiet devastation. Um, observing oneself as writers are, are fairly good at doing, usually obsessing over something and someone and ultimately concluding nothing. <laughs> um it is one of my favorite books in the sense that, especially at the beginning, the concept is crystal clear, the voice is crystal clear, and the interpretation is kind of exhilarating to read. It's also just a, a great index for artists um, who have pondered the color blue. It is also worth noting that blue is often depicted or interpreted as a colonial color um, in the fraternal tradition of imperialist powers such as the United States or France. Artist Simone Lee often uses specifically cobalt blue depicting young black women in ceramics and sculpture. Um, and I couldn't find any primary sources of her talking about her own work specifically about why she uses blue. Um, but I have read critiques and interpretations that bring up the colonialism of blue which in, in the use of her works. But my initial reaction when I saw her work was um, not that she incorporates blue at all to cover her work in like colonialism as a kind of symbolic gesture it's I actually thought of like the indigo dyers of West Africa and all over the continent really and um, they've been dyeing things with blue for millennia also like the ocean has often been depicted I had this uh, book I have this book somewhere called an oceanic feeling. It's by Erica Balsam, ba Basalm or something. I'll, I'll link it. But basically it talks about um, how the ocean in cinema is usually depicted as a kind of a divisive point, diasporic movements away from, you know, motherlands and things like that. It's this kind of treacherous journey across um, the ocean, across blue. And the question of the whole book is essentially what if blue or what if the ocean connected us rather than divided divided us and it's not you know just tied to uh, colonialism and diasporic movement but that is one aspect of the the conversation so it's really interesting to think about blue as a as a divisive thing rather than a connecting point that's another way to look at it but to me the color blue has never and will never uh, belong to the western european world there's a trilogy of films feature films um, in red, white, and blue. That's by Krzysztof Kieslowski. Kieslowski, forgive me. Um, but it's called The Three Colors, and there's one, of course, that's blue. And he sort of weaves all these feature films together in very subtle ways. Um, and it was kind of a trend, I feel like, in the early 2000s or in 90s. But, but blue, with Juliette Binoche, is centered around memory. It's centered around this very tragic, greatest sense of loss and grief, but also 
again, that kind of splitting of the fabric of reality when something so shocking happens that you have no concept of like what your life was like before. Um, and then it utterly breaks you open and you have this sort of blue entrance to blue and it's not solicited or wanted necessarily in a literal sense, but it does have a kind of undeniable attraction. And um, it's a really great film, actually. I think through all of these works, there's a very clear thread of, yeah, melancholy, of the energy of the moon, of reflection, of something beyond, something greater than like what we see in our everyday lives, something eternal, something dream-ridden and imaginative um, and creative potentially, but also, yeah, quietly devastating. There's so many other works we could discuss here, but that's all the time we have for today's video. I hope you enjoyed this little deep dive into the color blue and some of these artists. And if you check out some of their works, leave a comment below um, and let me know what you think. And um, as always, everything will be linked on the blog, which will be linked in the description. Subscribe, like the video. And if you haven't seen my video on Cy Twombly, he was an avid blue user. Um, check it out. I'll leave it right here and I will see you guys next time. Ciao.